Well, now, what have we learned until now? Basically, as a review, <coughs> we've seen so far that the idea of Avram, Avram Avino, is that the idea is that as a result of his Avoida, which he worked for many years, of course, then we have what we have is the idea that Avram now personified the Merkava, and this is what I mentioned last week, that the idea of the Merkava means that Avram became a chariot, and that means that the purpose of a chariot is to bring the driver to its destination. So therefore, Avram was now that Merkava. In other words, he would be the Masakin. He would be the one that would bring the Rabbanishlam back into the Bria. And that would be the Tikkun. Both he and his descendants. That is what's meant by a Merkava. That he would be the vehicle by which the Hester that the Rabbanishlam originally put into the Bria, and also the Hester that was contributed by man, that Hester would now be removed through the uh, Avoid of Avram and his descendants. Therefore, he and his descendants would now be the Masaknim. And this, of course, means that they would be termed Yisrael. And that, of course, is the entire purpose of the Bria, of the universe. Is to have a Yisrael, a people that actually is involved in the task of bringing the Rabbani Shalom into the Bria, from which he was previously absent. In other words, Avram would be involved and his descendants, they would be involved in Gili Chudoi, to reveal the unity of the Rabbani Shalom in the Bria. And as a result of that, the uh, Hester, which of course was in the Bria, would be removed. Now, that Gili Chudoi specifically really refers to Yichut which means that Avram and his descendants would be revealing the true underlying cause of the Bria, and that is the Yichud of the Shlit of the Rabbanishlam throughout. In other words, that the Rabbanishlam, he himself is the supreme master, ruler, or authority in the Bria, and that nothing, absolutely nothing, goes on without the Rabbanishlam's cause. That's Yichud Shlitosay. The idea that the Rabbanishlam is the supreme master and ruler, supreme authority. This Yichut is what the Jews would be revealed in the Bria. And this is what's called Tikkun Malchus. Now what that is, is that the Malucha, the kingdom, or the kingship, or the fact that the Rabbanishlam is a Melech, a king, was hidden from the Bria. So therefore, Malchus, the idea of his kingdom, was hidden. We do not see the Rabbanishlam as a Melech. Therefore, the task of the Yisrael, which is Avram and his descendants, would be to be Masakin, that Hester of Malchus. That's called Tikkun Malchus. That's what it really means. To bring the Rabbanishim back into the Bria to indicate his Melucha, the fact that he's a Melech throughout. So therefore, uh, Avram Avinu and his descendants, instead of mankind, <coughs> would be involved in Gili Yehudoi, or specifically the Yichud Shlitosoi, which means, in effect, that his Malchus, the kingdom of God, would be restored to the, to the Bria. And this is the task of man, to massacre that Hester, which means to massacre the Hester of the Malchus. The fact that the Bershom is hidden in the sense that he's the king of the Bria, the supreme, absolute authority. This is what the Bershom wants of the Jews, and therefore Tikkun Malchus is another way of summing up the entire Avodah. Just like Gili Yehudoi is another way of summing up the entire Avodah. 
And this is, of course, all indicated symbolically by the idea of a Merkava or a chariot. Now, not only would Avram be involved, of course, but what he was ensuring is that he and all his descendants would also be involved. That all he and his descendants would be involved in the actual act of being Masakin. Now, besides that, what has to be Niskan, what has to be corrected? And originally, of course, there was only one Hester that had to be Niskan. And that was the original deficiency of the presence of God. And it was the fact that God was absent, his Malchus was absent. That deficiency was, which was caused the Rabbani Shlom, this is what Klai Yisrael has to, or rather this is what uh, man was chosen to bring into the Bria. However, as a result of man's sin, there is a new Tikkun, and that is a Tikkun, or new correction, and that is that man must now correct the double Hester, the fact that he himself has contributed to the concealment of the Rabbani Shlom in the Bria. So therefore we now talk about to Tikkunim, that the Masaknin, of course, as designated, designated symbolically as a Merkava, is Avram and his descendants. And the actual Tikkun itself, of course, is a Tikkun of the Hester of Chasan, means the original deficiency, that is removed. And the second form of Tikkun, of course, is what's called Kilkul. And that is the deficiency which man has caused in the Bria as a result of his Chet. So therefore there are two tikkunim, or two avoiders, which mankind must now engage in as a result of the chet of Odom Rishon. Now, as a result of this, I just wanted to also explain a little more in depth what is the idea of the two tikkunim. Now, the, the first hester which the Rabbanishlam gave is the fact that he was absent from the Bria. And the only function and power that the Sitra Akhra in the guise of the snake or the Nochash had was that it could tempt or it could try to tempt man to do sin or seduce him in that sense, a mesis, to try to tempt him to do sin. But the Nochash or the Sitra Akhra had no other power besides that. The Hester or the removal of God's presence in the Rabia was God's own choice and done by his own power, was done by no other power. As a result of the Chet of Adam, as a result of the Chet of Adam, what happened was is that <clears throat> what Adam what Rishon did by doing the Chet <clears throat> is that he actually gave a power to the Nochosh, the Sitra Akhra. So therefore what comes out is that no more is it that the Sitra Akhra <clears throat> merely has the power to, uh, to tempt man, to try to seduce man to sin. But the Sitracha has now more power to actually get involved in the Bria itself, to get involved in the physical universe itself. In other words, the actual Chet, it was Mekalkil the Bria in two ways. First of all, it removed the presence of the Rabbani Shalom in general. And second, it gave power to the Nochosh or the Sitracha, powers which he did not have before, Therefore, evil became strengthened because that's what the Sitra Akhra tries to do, is promote evil. Therefore, that was a second kilkul in the sense that evil now had power which it shouldn't have in the first place and which it never had. Now, so therefore you have two kilkulum in that sense that God was further removed from the Bria as a result of the Chet and his re God's removal in the Bria, of course, means 
that the Sitra Akhra has newfound power, and that's a second kilkul, that man actually has given power or strength to evil itself. Now, what does the Sitra Akhra, of course, try to do as a result of this yinuka, this sustenance of power? He influences the physical Bria, and he does that in several ways. First of, first of all, death and all kinds of deterioration, physical deterioration, is a result of the Sitra Akhra. So in that sense, he has the power of the Bria. Also, the Sitra Akhra, of course, became internalized in man's body. The Yetzirah now is in the psyche of man, and not external, the way it was before. Because with the power given by the Sitra, to the Sitra Akhra, he now could enter and control the physical universe. Also, what the Sitra Akhra can do as a result of his power, which is, is that he can promote individuals who choose freely to do evil. He can actually promote them in the sense that he can give them success. In other words, he, what he does is he allows, the Rabbanishim gives them success because of the accusations of the Sitra Akhra against Klai Yisrael. So therefore, Hester itself is promoted and furthered and caused by the power of the Sitra Akhra. So therefore, Tukulkulam in the Kilkul itself is really there. The first Kilkul is the idea <coughs> that there's a hest of the Rabbanishlam further than what even the Rabbanishlam. And the second Kilkul is that that hester itself, that the Rabbanishlam is found further away from the Bria, the universe, is because the Sitra Akhra himself has the power to promote events which give success to the fact that uh, they pr uh, success of they give, they give success to individuals who try to promote the idea that there is no Rabban Islam, that they themselves are the powers. That's Ribuy Kirchus, a multiplicity or plurality of many forces besides the Rabban Islam. So therefore, the Kilkul, of course, was also in the idea that the Sitra Akhra now has power. Therefore, if you now, if an individual now goes to Masakin, the Kilkul, the Hester which is caused by the Kilkul, the Chet, he must deal with the Sitra Akhra. Because the Sitra Akhra is the one who's promoting that Hester. So therefore, he has to battle or wage war with the Sitra Akhra himself and take away that power. When the power of the Sitra Akhra is removed, then that's the end of the Hester that he causes. That's how. Since the Sitra Akhra is the one who causes that Hester as a result of the Chatoim, of Odom and later on the Chatoim of Jews. Therefore, you must deal with the Sitra Akhra and take away that power. And if you remove the Anuka, that power of the Sitra Akhra himself, then what happens is that there's no more Hester as caused by man, because the one who's promoting or making sure that Hester exists, of course, is the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, one must combat the Sitra Akhra in order to remove the Hester, because the Sitra Akhra is causing that Hester. And that is done, of course, as I mentioned previously, by involving yourself with the battle of the Sitra Akhra in one of two ways. To, to remain at Sadiq, even though you're within the midst or within the dominion of the Sitra Akhra, to remain at Sadiq. Or the second way, if a person doesn't remain at Sadiq, right, which means mitzvahs and tshuva, then the second alternative is that he suffers Yisurin because of the Sitra Akhra. And now, of course, the Sitra Akhra, of course, is represented by Goyim, who basically do the will of the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, they are seen as his agents. Therefore, the idea is that if they suffer Yisurin at the hands of the Sitra Akhra, it dissipates his power, his claim, because now he has no more claim against you. You've suffered at his hands. Therefore, once the Sitra Akhra has no more power, then he has no more power to be Masti Yehudoi, which is his entire objective, to provide Choshech, darkness to man, 
that is that and the darkness consists of the fact that there's a multiplicity of beings that's what he always wants to promote therefore as a result of the idea of contending with the Sitra Akhra, his power is lost. Therefore, what is no more promoted, of course, is the Ribri Kirchus, uh, the idea that there are many authorities and powers. Elamai, the original Hester, is then produced, which is that the Sitra Akhra now only has the power to, uh, to tempt man, to try to seduce man. In other words, that he's been externalized outside of the physical universe. He no more has the power in the universe itself. And of course, and then the ultimate uh, next task, of course, is to spread Kedusha and ultimately destroy even the function or the faculty of the, the ability of the Sitrach even to tempt man. That is finally destroyed also. This is what the entire idea of what Kilko means in more uh, deeper understanding and also in terms of how to how one engages in combat to remove that second kilko. Now, I just want to mention one thing which is important and that many times you'll find in a Sefer where the Sefer says that the entire purpose of man's creation the entire purpose of man's creation is that a person has to <clears throat> to make the Rabbani Shalom king to be Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch to designate the Rebbe as king. This is the entire reason why the Rebbe created the Bria, is that man should recognize and man should make God king, of course, by his own free will. That's the union of Melech. This is what uh, many times you'll see which is said in Sfar. But the truth is that that's really misleading. The purpose of man is not to make the Rebbe the or the Rajid, rather the original purpose, the first objective of the Rabbani Shalom is not that man should make him king or should recognize the kingship of the Rabbani Shalom because it sounds like the Rabbani Shalom, you know, it sounds like what, what does God need man to make him king? I mean, what is he? He's got, he's got to have acceptance and recognition by others and then he'll feel good about himself? It, what does it mean? But the idea is that the objective of man or rather the idea which is promoted sometimes in Sfarim they say that the objective of the creation is that man should uh, 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 designate the Rabbani Shalom as king, to coronate the Rabbani Shalom through his free will. And this was the reason why the Rabbani Shalom created the Bria. Like I say, that's misleading. That is not the objective. The objective is that man should be nehne, should be derive pleasure from the Rabbani Shalom. The objective of the Bria is hatova, that the Rabbani Shalom should be native to people, that he should give them states of pleasure or states of well-being. Now, since it was decided by the Rabbani Shalom that that state of pleasure would be to experience the Rabbani Shalom himself, therefore, which means to experience the Melucha of God, which means Yehudai, that's what Melucha means, since it was de designated by the Rabbani Shalom that he himself would be the reward that man would experience, in other words, man would be masig yehudoi or masig malchusoi, that's what it means. Man would apprehend or comprehend the, the, the absolute unity of God, that malchus itself. So therefore, that was the task of man, to mamlech the Rabbani Shalom, to coronate God. In other words, so therefore, that's really the second objective. The first objective is that man should experience the Rabbani Shalom directly, which means experience Yichuchlitosoi, or the mulucha of the Rabbani Shalom, the kingdom of God. However, the way he does that is he has to work for it. What is his work? His work is that he actually has to recognize that the Rabbani Shalom is king. So therefore, 
what is many times spoken of as the primary purpose or objective of the Bria is really the secondary purpose, which means that's really the task. In other words, the way you can experience or comprehend the idea of the absolute unity of God, the kingdom of God, is by working and laboring to establish that kingdom, that you should perceive that kingdom. Therefore, you perceive the very kingdom you established. Mida connected Mida. The exact amount, to the exact amount that you perceive the Rebbe as king in the Bria, that's the task, to that amount you will, you will uh, experience or comprehend that kingdom in Ilm Habba. So therefore, the first uh, primary purpose of the Bria, in other words, the bottom line is Hatova, that the Rebbe wanted to be native to the Bria, native to Adam, to give man the ability to experience him directly in sense of experience his melucha, his yechudoi, his unity. However, the way man would do that would be to work for it in order to avoid the embarrassment that comes from getting something for nothing. And the task would be, of course, is to recognize that the Rebbe is king. Notice that not man is king, because man always wants to, that's the war. Is man king or God king? That man would recognize that not that he is king, but that the Rebbe is king, and therefore he would experience that melucha that has sog of Yehudai, which he labored therein. And therefore it would be what's called a Tavah In other words, man would experience the Rabbani Shlom, the aspect of his Yehudai, without any shame or out, without any loss of self-respect, since he is the one who labored or worked to try to figure that out. Therefore, in that merit, he also experiences it. So therefore, the Rabbani Shlom is now native. He does good to man. He bestows good upon man. Behatova Shlema means that not only does man experience God, which is the best kind of Anor, but he also experiences him without any kind of loss of self-respect, because man earned that Hasaga. This is the idea that I just wanted to mention. Now, getting back to Avram Avinu, and going a little further into Avram. The idea of Avram basically is involved in, uh, or, or rather the... The, the objective or the life of Avram is really involved in several tasks, basically three. And uh, things about Avram's life gel around these ideas. The first idea of Avram, of course, is to be the Masakin, to establish the agreement or the covenant with the Rabbanishlam, that he would assume the role of Masakin, he and his descendants, which means that he and his descendants have the power to actually undo the Hester, which means that God actually subjugates his revelation or his absence in the Bria based on the actions of Jews. Goyim do not have this power at all. A Goy cannot influence the direction of God's movement. Not one iota. The only thing he can influence if he does a righteous act is that he can influence his own mazel if he gets Oilam Habo or whatever. But in terms of the Bria, the universe being corrected, that God now reveals himself to the entire universe, Goyim cannot influence the Rebbe at all. That's the idea of what it means to be a Masakin, one who can actually Masakin the Bria. So therefore, the first primary objective of Avram is to Masakin, to be that Masakin, to be Yisrael. And that's what Yisrael is, as I previously mentioned. The second idea of the Avram and each of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov had these designated tasks is to personify a Midah of the Rabbanu Shalom, a fundamental Midah. 
And in this case, the fundamental midah of the Rabbani Shalom is chesed, kindness. To bestow good or kindness or bestow a pleasurable state on another person. In other words, to enhance being. Now, chesed, of course, means to give that without anything in return. In other words, the individual who's getting it doesn't deserve anything. He didn't do anything to work. He didn't work for it. But chesed means, pure chesed means to give something to somebody else for no reason whatsoever than the fact that the person who's native wants to give it. This is the idea of chesed. In other words, that Avraham Avinu, his work was to personify in his own self. This was his labor, okay? Was to personify this idea of chesed, which of course is the personification of the chesed of the Rabbani Shalom in the Bria. Now this of course is a result of avo, of love. In other words, because chesed and avo are really the same. Because the Rabbani Shalom loves the Bria, since he has a love of the Adam and especially Jews since they became the Masaknim, therefore he wanted to bestow upon them hano or, or, or uh, uh, good things in, in terms of chesed. Okay? So therefore, the ava, which is the motive, creates the chesed, which is the midah. Okay? And the recipients, of course, is the Masaknim who labors therein, and therefore he deserves that. That, that hasoga or that hatova that the Rebbe wants to give him. So therefore that was the second task of Avram, is to really to personify that chesed of the Rebbe And uh, you know, it's to be a mative, just like the Rebbe is a mative, that Avram should be a mative also. So therefore this was the second fundamental, me, uh, fundamental objective of Avram, is to give, this is the fundamental objective, is to give or rather to personify chesed personify chesed in himself this is our which personifies a fundamental media of the Rabbani Shalom, which of course is chesed now therefore when you look at Avram's life you find that he was very much concerned with bestowing goodness upon others that was the intensity of his avodah that was his primary move in that direction where do you see it? You see that Avram, the mitzvah of Hachnosis Ochem was very great to Avram, right? What is the idiom of Hachnosis Ochem? To invite guests. That Avram was very much concerned with inviting guests and giving to them, which in a classic one, of course, is by Vayera, when the three Malochem were his guests. But in any case, the idea of Hachnosis Ochem was a very fundamental labor of Avram. And this comes out of the Midah of Chesed, which Avram was trying to personify and bring into his actual person, the Inir of Amerikova, to bear that chesed and to personify that chesed. In any case, so you find that in the midah of Achnosis Ochem. Now Avram additionally, of course, wanted to use that Achnosis Ochem also to, use, uh, to, to uh, try to get the person to recognize that where does all good come from? Of course, the Rabbani Shalom. So it was also a vehicle, of course, for trying to make people from. But in any case, Hachnosis Ochem as a Midah is a personification of the Chesed of Avram. <clears throat> now, where else do you find it? You find it by Gerim. That Avram didn't want to just keep Judaism to himself, the, the notion of the Rabbanishim to himself. He went out and made proselytes, Gerim. And we find that the Torah says that when Avram left Choran in Lech Lecha, Pasha's Lech Lecha, when he left the city of Choran, it says that he took many things with him and it says also that he took the nefesh, the nefoshes, the souls that he made in Choran. 
So the Chazal say that what does that mean? That that Avram was Megaya the men and Sarah was Megayeris the women. In other words, that they occupied themselves with not only keeping the good things that you have, the treasure that you have to yourself, but spreading the wealth, bringing it to other people also. That also is an idea of Chesed, to bring it to others also. So this is the idea of Gerem. Again we find the interesting stage of Avram, or rather the, the facet of Avram, who concerned himself, of course, basically with Chesed, is by the idea of Yishmuel and Hagar. And that was that after Yitzchak was born, after Yitzchak was born, then Hagar observed Yishmuel was Metzachek, the Torah says. He was playing. So Chazal learned that playing means that he was either Isaac and Avodah Zorah, he was Isaac in some kind of Chet or Sin. So she told Avram that, that to send Hagar and, and Yishmuel away, send them away because they will not inherit with Yitzchak Bni. That's what she said. So the truth is that one has to understand that very, very carefully. People learn, if you learn it superficially, it sounds like uh, that the Sora was jealous for, of the fact that Yishmuel, of course, was older. And she didn't want Yishmuel, who was not her son, uh, inheriting the wealth of Avram. She wanted Yitzchak to do that because that was her son. So therefore she told uh, Avram, look, get rid of them, you know. So it sounds like there was like a competition, it was jealousy. I don't want him to inherit, I want my son to inherit. And the Torah says that uh, Avram, it was, it was, that it was a very bad gesture in the eyes of Avram. Avram disagreed very much with Sarah. And uh, the Rabbi Nishlam appeared himself, appeared to Avram and said, listen to what Sarah says, what she's saying is correct. So if we're talking, if, if the idea of what Sarah had to offer is something, a base motive, a motive only in the sense of, look, I don't want him to inherit my wealth, the, our, the family's wealth. I want Yitzchak to inherit the wealth. And if Yishmuel remains, he's going to say he's older, therefore he's entitled, so get rid of them. Obviously, if that was the motive, the reversion would not have told Avram, listen to Sarah for she's correct. What Sarah saw, Benvua, and this is important to understand, because it deals with the chesed of Avram. What Sarah saw Benvua is that, of course, be Yitzchak, in Yitzchak, the Yerusha, the inheritance of Klai Yisrael would continue. It's not only, Sarah is not only concerned with the inheritance of Klai Yisrael in terms of the physical possessions of Avram, because money is here today and gone tomorrow. The main idea is that Yitzchak was the second generation or the descendant of Avram who would become the Mesakein, the one who could correct the Bria, that was the main Avodah, the main Merkava of the Rabbani Shalom, would be Yitzchak, not Yishmol. And she saw that because she saw Yishmol being Metzachik. See, that, that the, besides the fact that, how do we know, besides the fact that <clears throat> the Rabbani Shalom said to listen to Sarah, so we know that Avram, that it cannot be a base motive that was Sarah's intention, it says also distinctly that the reason why she said that to Avram was because she saw Yishmol being Metzachik. Playing, which Chazal say was he was either Isaac in some kind of a or some other chatoim, whatever. So therefore, and then she said, send him away because I don't want him to to inherit with my son. So therefore, what motivated Sarah was because she saw that Yitzchak would be the one who would inherit the spiritual Yerusha of Avram, which is the ability to be Masakin, the whole tafkid of the Bria, the whole purpose of of creation, and she saw that Yishmuel who was in a, a great state spiritually, Yishmael wasn't a regular person, any son of Avram, 
is not a plain person, obviously. But Yishmor was nowhere near what Yitzchak obviously was. So therefore she was afraid that Yishmor would have a bad hashpor ruchnistiga-wise, spiritually, on Yitzchak. And therefore Yitzchak would not fulfill his tafkid, which is the main tafkid of the Bria. So therefore she said, send them away. Send them away. Send Hagar and her son away because I'm afraid that even though Yishmor does have a Madrega, but since he's involved in Chatoim, he's not perfect, he's going to have a blemish on Yitzchak. And the main idea, of course, of the Tikkun is through Yitzchak, and that's the whole purpose of the Bria. Avram, however, felt because of his Chesed that he didn't want to drive Yishmor away because he felt that Yitzchak would be able to withstand the temptations that Yishmor, the older. Uh, older brother, half-brother, would give him. But what Sarah felt is that she doesn't want any energies to be diverted to withstand Yishmael's sort of like uh, engagement with, with Chatoim. But Avram, because he was an unbounded chesed, he didn't want to send Yishmael away. He wanted to give his goodness, which is the Yerusha of Ruchnius, to Yishmael also. Let him also benefit. Because he figured maybe he can try to change Yishmael that he wouldn't be such a choyte on his madrega. So therefore, because Avram was chesed, which was unbounded, wasn't restricted or limited, therefore Avram felt that he wants to give the, uh, he wants to let Yishmuel remain in his house, so therefore perhaps he can influence Yishmuel. Ah, Yitzchak may be endangered, but he felt that Yitzchak won't be endangered because fought, Avram would make sure, but Sarah said, even if he's not in, in danger, but fought, Yitzchak has to use energies to keep away or make sure that uh, Yishmael doesn't corrupt him. And that energies could be used for further growth in Ruchnius. So therefore, that was the Machlekes between Avram and Sarah. So therefore, the Rebbeinu says, listen to Sarah because she is correct. Since the Tikkun has to come through Yitzchak, he is the Yerusha of the Tikkun, Therefore, all energies, of course, of Yitzchak have to be devoted in terms of Aliyah. Not he has to fight off the Sitra Achra or whatever, especially as a child. And this is what the Rebbe Hashem told uh, uh, Avram. So therefore, and that's what Sarah said, that since Yishmuel is not going to, in, he's not going to inherit the Tikkun, if Yishmuel would also inherit the Tikkun besides Yitzchak, so okay, then you have to work with him also, you can't send them out. But if the whole one is going to inherit the Tikkun of the Bria, to massacre the Bria is Yitzchak, then you cannot jeopardize in any way, even by diminishing the strength or energies of, our, of Yitzchak, you can't diminish that Tikkun or that purpose in the Bria. So therefore you must send them away. This is what she said. That's what it means that she saw him playing, so she realized that he would, he, he, he would be a bad influence on Yitzchak. So she said that he's not going to inherit with my son, therefore send them away. Which means that if he would inherit, then I have to keep him. Since he's not going to inherit, since Yitzchak will be the Mesakin of the Bria, therefore you cannot allow any possible jeopardy to come into Yitzchak. But Avram, because he had unbounded chesed, didn't want to do that. But who did the Rabbanu Shalom say was correct? Sorrow was correct. Okay, now, therefore we see again the idea of chesed of Avram, even to the extent where there's no restrictions. That was a chesed in Avram. Because chesed cannot be unbounded. It has to be bounded or limited. It has to be restricted in terms of the correct chesed. And where do we find that the Rabbi taught Avram that lesson? By the Akedah. What was the Akedah? What was the test of Avram? What was the weak spot? Why did the Rabbi pick the Akedah? 
as the greatest Nisoyen of Avram. Because the truth is that what the Roshim commanded Avram was a weak spot. Not only was it a weak spot because anybody, if the Roshim tells any man to slaughter his son, I mean, that's obviously a weak spot. It's a horrendous, abominable act, such an act. And Adrabo, the Roshim castigates the Umas Oilim because they offer their sons, their children to Moilech, the Roshim says himself. But, so objectively, of course, it's wrong to do that. But, so therefore, it's, 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 that itself ensures a difficulty to Avram's Bechina, to Avram's Nisoyim. But what doubly was difficult for Avram is Avram is the biggest Bachesser around. He is the one who doesn't want to destroy anybody. On the contrary, to be native as much as possible. So Madach to the, everybody else, he had Achnosis Orchem, Gerem to give Hatovah to Yishmoel, even at the jeopardy of Yitzchok, his Alachas Kamavakamo that Avram is really going to be difficult to sacrifice his son. That's a, a double weak spot to Avram because he was the quintessence or personification of chesed, of doing good to a person. And ending a person's life is, of course, the greatest evil. So the version, of course, knowing this, used the Nisoyin in Avram's weak spot. Okay, and that was the Nisoyin to Avram. So, of course, Avram listened and he was about to shecht. So, therefore, Avram, what was the idea of the Musa Haskel? What did the Rebbeinu teach Avram? What the Rebbeinu revealed to Avram is that chesed must have a restriction. There's no such thing as an unbounded chesed. In this world, there is a bounded chesed. Therefore, Avram has to bind his chesed when it conflicts with the rotten of the Rebbein Shalom. In other words, what determines when you are about chesed not is not the attribute of chesed. It's the will of God. The chesed, the meat of chesed must be bounded by a rotten Hashem. This is what Avram perceived from the Akedah. In other words, that chesed, that chesed must have din. Therefore, as a result of the fact that he withstood that Nisoyen, that he would have killed his son, Yitzchak, however the Bershom stopped him, what it did is enabled Avram to grow by that Nisoyen, where he would now personify Chesed with a measure of Din also. So what the Bershom was doing was really enabling him to personify true Chesed, which means Chesed with Din, because in this world Chesed always comes with Din. In other words, so therefore, the Nisoyen was av- to Avram because Avram had that double weakness, not only not killing a son, but he was the personification of Chesed itself. Okay? And what the Rebbe was Megala to him through this Nisoyen is that Rotzna Hashem is what decides what Chesed is, not the middle of Chesed itself, or not the human intellect. Therefore, this, when Avram realized that, it enabled Avram to what? To personify his Chesed through the attribute also of Din. In other words, that Chesed must be subjugated or modified or tempered by Din, which of course is the Ratzon Hashem. You may, uh, what is Din? Din means that there's a limitation or a restriction on Chesed. And you may ask, why is Chesed tempered by Din? Because the Rabbani Shalom in his attribute of Chesed himself tempers it with din. Why? Because if the Rebbeinu would be native bechazdoi completely, then there would be no ilm hazeh. There would be no ilm hazeh, just ilm habo. 
why did God create Olam Hazeh? Which is din, means you got to work for the reward. Because of Namdik Sufa. In order to masakin, to correct the feeling of self-respect, uh, self, uh, loss of self-respect that a person would have. That embarrassment, therefore man must work for his reward. Therefore we see that the chesed that the Roshim gives to an Adam, of course, which is the, the, the fact that an individual has the opportunity to earn reward in the first place, is the chesed, but it must go through the vehicle or through the concept of din, which means that he has to work for it. So it comes out that the reality is what? That chesed must have din. That's what the Roshim himself subjugated his own actions that his chesed is subjugated to the actions of Din in order to have a ticket of Namanik Sufa. Therefore, he gave Avram the last Nisoyim that you must, that the chesed itself must be subjugated to Din. Therefore, and therefore, this was the idea of the Akedo. Because one of the primary, again, the second primary idea that Avram was doing was to personify that fundamental midah of chesed of the Rabbanishlam. But again, it had to be personified through a certain measure of Din. And this was the vehicle that the Akedah enabled Avram to do. Therefore, that was, and, you know, uh, uh, therefore, before the Akedah, by Hagar, that's why Avram Avinu wanted to keep Yishmael because he had unbounded Chesed. Chesed cannot be unbounded. It has to have uh, a certain uh, limits. And the limits, of course, is that if Yitzchak is going to be hampered in his approach to the Tikkun, you can't do that. So Sora understood that, but Avram, because of his incredible Chesed, allowed perceived the chesed purely as a hatova which is unbounded means unrestricted love and the rabbi showed him that name it can't be so therefore the rabbi Shalom, like they say lishitose just like he agreed with sarah that the chesed has to be bounded in terms of din or it has to be bounded with a restriction limit the same idea as the akeda it has to be bounded also in any case this is the idea of the midah that Avram worked on, which was chesed, of course, which of course later on was indicated to him that it has to be bounded or restricted or limited through the idea of a din. And this was revealed to him, of course, in the Akedah. I just want to mention that, you know, Yishmael was a very great person and the, the, the proof of that is that you have Tanoim one named after Yishmael, Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Shmuel Oimeh, the Bryce of Rabbi Shmuel. Now, how can a Tana be named after a Russia? You don't hear anybody named Rabbi Esav. The idea is that Yishmuel was a Tzaddik. Why? Because the Chazal bring around that he was a Tzaddik because when it says that Yitzchok and Yishmuel went to bury Avram, Yitzchok came first, then it says Yishmuel. So therefore that's the rye that Yishmuel allowed Yitzchak to come first because he perceived Yitzchak as a tzaddik, which means he perceived what Sitkas is. That was the rye that Yitzchak, that Yishmuel did shuvah, that he was a tzaddik, and therefore you can have Tanoim, who are named Rabbi Shmuel and Kohen Gadol. I mean, you can, you can never have that unless he was a, he was a tzaddik. So therefore, getting back to Avram, so therefore this was the second major task of Avram, of course, was to personify chesed, which is a fundamental attribute, a midah of the Rabbani Shalom. And Chesed came first. Chesed, Oilem Yibona, means the world was created first with Chesed. And then it was subjugated or was modified by Din. That's why so Din came second. So therefore Avram, who was the first of, he was of course Chesed. And Yitzchak will be Din, as we shall see. But in any case, this was the second fundamental objective of Avram. Was that his Avodah should be in terms of the area called Chesed. 
That was the intensity of his avoider, which is to bestow goodness upon others, which of course basically is, is the Torah and the knowledge of the Rabbani Shlom. Now, the third major objective, of course, as a result of the Chesed, is the Hispashtis Kedusha. Now, it's the Tikkun or the Avoidah, the work of being Mispashit Kedusha, spreading holiness, which of course means the knowledge of God, was the fundamental purpose and objective of Avramavino. As such, of course, as such, we see that Avramavino was the Mashiach ben David. He was the Shirish of the Mashiach ben David, which of course now makes sense. Um, he was Mamish the Shirish of Mashiach ben David, therefore he was involved in Hispashtis Kedusha, that's the, uh, to spread the knowledge of God throughout the Bria, that was his basic involvement, of course which was founded upon the fact that he was personifying the fundamental Midah of Chesed. And so, this, so these are the three kind of ideas in Avram. The first idea is the fact that Avram was the one to initiate the agreement with God, and he and his descendants, of course, would take upon that burden to be the Masakim. The second idea is that Avram would personify the Midah of Chesed. And the third idea is that Avram would also, of course, be involved in the repercussions of Chesed, which, of course, is his Pashtis Kedusha, which, of course, is the work of the Mashiach ben David. And this, of course, was because Avram Avinu was a Shirish of the Mashiach ben David. Now, I also, <coughs> I wanted to mention that <coughs> until now we see that <coughs> some of the Nisiyanis of Avram were directed against the meat of Avram, which is chesed, kindness. And that the Rabbani Shalom tested him in, in respect to that midah, that attribute of kindness, which Avram exemplified. And it was his life was basically revolved around the emphasis of personifying chesed. And I'll talk about that further in detail later. But in any case, <coughs> that some of the Nisiyanists were directed at that midah. And I previously mentioned Yishmoel, how that uh, was a conflict, and also the Akedah. How both of these were conflicts in the Chesed of Avram. We find also another place in Sedoim, which is also very important for us to see, and that is that <coughs> we have to, uh, the question arises why did Rabbanishim tell Avram that he was going to destroy Sedoim? And the idea to that, I mean, many ideas, but one of the uh, basic ideas is because the Rabbanishim was again testing Avram in the midst of Chesed. <coughs> in other words, what would he do chesed for Rishoyim? In other words, would he interact to save Rishoyim from also Ibud, from destruction? In other words, how far does the chesed of Avram extend? How far does it encompass? What does it include? Would Avram also pray for Rishoyim, even though those who clearly deserve to die? Would his chesed also extend to praying for Achmonis to the Rabbani Shalom himself? This was the reason why the Rabbani Shalom told Avram, because it was an Isoyin for Avram. He was testing him to what extent would he uh, 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 extend himself in terms of his chesed to save the people of Sedoim. Memela, therefore, he told him. And in that case, we see that what he wanted from Avram is to see how far he would extend the chesed, not how far he would limit or control it, which is what the Rabbani Shalom did by the Akedah and also by the incident of Yishmuel 
and, uh, and Hagar. There we see the notion of control or limiting chesed. Here we see what the Rav wanted is to what extent Avram would, of course, extend the chesed. This is the idea in Sedoim. Now, of course, that encompassed difficulties. <coughs> because would Avram question the judgment, the chesed, and the rachmonis of the Rav Because if the Rav tells Avram that he's going to destroy Sedoim, right, what does that indicate? That God has decided... Even notwithstanding the chesed of the Rabbani Shalom, the kindness and the mercy, he has decided that the people of Sedoim deserve to be destroyed. So therefore it was a tremendous risk for Avram to figure out that the reason why the Rabbani Shalom is telling him in the first place is to see if he would come to their aid. That was what Avram had to figure out. And therefore, what the risk involved was that he actually would make himself look like a greater chesed. Like a great tzaddik or, or, or Barachmonis by interceding for a people who had to be destroyed after the Rebbe himself says he wanted to destroy them. But Avram successfully understood that the re- reason why the Rebbe is telling him this is that he should see that the Rebbe wants him to intercede for these Rishoyim. And it's like Moshe Rabbeinu, when the Rebbe said to Moshe Rabbeinu, leave me up so I may destroy this nation, what Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to understand and which he correctly understood is the Rebbe wanted Moshe to intercede for Klai Israel by the mice of the eagle, when the Jews did the sin of the eagle. And of course Moshe understood that the way the Rebbe expressed himself, leave me and let me destroy these people, which means if you don't leave me, I'm not going to destroy them. So he understood that that itself was an assignment to Moshe to see what kind of leader he was. To what extent is he dedicated to his people? To what extent would he co- go to combat for his people, even though it meant a risk? Because, I mean, look who you're arguing in. You're arguing with the Rabbi Shalom, who wants to destroy Christ's world. But in reality, it was a test for Moshe Rabbeinu. To what extent would he come across as a leader? How devoted was he? What kind of faithful shepherd was he? And of course, Moshe Rabbeinu withstood the test, and he disregarded the notion that he become a nation unto himself, which is Rebbeinu said to him, I'll make you a nation. And he said, name, save Klai Israel. Because Rosh Rabbeinu knew that the entire Tachos of the Bri, of course, is only Klai Israel, And he was that leader, of course, who loved Klai Israel. The same idea with Avram, that Avram successfully understood that he had to intercede for these people. But even Avram, who interceded for them, knew that he couldn't say to Rebbeinu, save them because the Sedim, the people of Sedim themselves. He told them, save them because maybe there are 50 Tzaddikim in the city. Maybe they can somehow help the people of Sedim to change their ways. So even his approach, of course, wasn't that you should save Sedim because of their merit. They had none. But maybe because of Tzaddikim in the city, they deserve to be saved. Therefore, this Nisoyin also was a test to see to what extent will Avram extend his chesed. Just essentially, just to review what we had covered very rapidly in terms of Avram. We see that Avram basically is involved in basically three different kinds of uh, essential tasks. And the first one is the fact that he served as an initiator. He was the one who brought in the fact that he was going to be a Masakin and all his descendants. In other words, that he was going to create the, correct the status of the universe in terms of the amount of the presence of the Rebbeinu that had in it or not. This is what the idea of Avram that he was the one who initiated the agreement with the Rebbeinu for him and his descendants. This, of course, is symbolized by the bris, which is the exact agreement or covenant that Avram entered in with the Rebbeinu 
The second idea is that Avram Avinu personified Chesed of the Rabbani Shalom. And I'll get into that more extensively later. Why is this necessary? But in any case, and what does this mean? But in any case, the second major major thread or theme of Avram's life is this constant personification of the Chesed of the Rabbani Shalom. And of course, he actualized that. And this was, of course, the main avoider <coughs> that Avram had. And as a third avoider was, of course, to be involved in the repercussions or the expressions of that chesed, and that is his spashtas kedusha, to spread the name of the Rabbanishlam throughout the Bria, to make people aware that there is a God, and that this, this God is, of course, absolute in authority, is the absolute ruler and the absolute um, king. So therefore that was his spashtas kedusha, which means to spread the Kedusha or the knowledge of the Rabbani Shalom throughout the Bria. And as such, I mentioned previously, that is the task of the Mashiach ben David, and that's what Avram Avinu was. He was a Shirish of the Mashiach ben David. Now, this is basically the idea in terms of what Avram was involved in. In addition, we see that the Nisyanus, the tests of Avram, basically was centering itself around his attribute of Chesed, always testing him. In other words, that it, this, you know, it's, and I mentioned that the purpose of a test is that the individual who's being tested should be able to perfect that meter which the Rabbanishlam wants them to perfect. And he does that through a test. In any case, that these tests revolve themselves around the chesed of Avram in terms of would Avram understand that you have to limit or restrict chesed or kindness? Or to what extent would Avram extend this chesed that he has? Therefore, <laughs> And this is basically, to sum up, the essential ideas of Avram or Vino. Now, <clears throat> it's important to understand that one can talk on and on, one can learn Torah for years and talk on and on, just in Avram, the significance of the entire ideas of Avram, for, of course, a great deal of time. The purpose here, of course, is not to talk about each portion of the Chumash in, in entirety, because this, of course, is not the purpose, but rather to talk about the essential ideas in terms of the internal script. What the essential idea of what's going on. And as such, I had dealt with previous ideas between Adam and Kain and Hevel and Moshe Rabbein and Yosef and Yehud and so on. And now I'm dealing with the Ovois. And I had spent time on Avram Avinu, trying to point out the essential ideas that Avram was involved with the internal script of what's going on, that we can understand the life of Avram. And the same idea, Yitzchak and Yaakov, I'm also going to be, uh, going to be uh, trying to also develop the essential ideas of behind each of. And therefore, of course, I'm not going into many side peripheral ideas and Musar arguments and other, for that you can look in, in other places. In other words, what I want to do is just mention an organizing idea, which I think is very important to know. And that is that this shear has two objectives. And that, that, that's what probably makes it different from other kinds of shurim that also deal with hashkafa. And that is, the first objective is to reveal the internal or the central theme or script of the Bria. In other words, the internal design that when the Rebbe created the universe, exactly what was this design. And therefore, to reveal this internal script which basically many times is only alluded to in the Torah, remez. So therefore, this year really approaches Torah al-pi remez, 
according to the illusions of what the internal script, what the central theme of the Torah is. And sometimes the Torah says it more openly, more clearly, that's usually really. But the idea is to reveal this internal script of the Torah, which is basically eluded many times. That's the first objective of this year. So we deal with internals, or hidden ideas, or internal designs or concepts. The second objective of the Shia is to demonstrate, to indicate, that all events of Tanakh, all events of Jewish history, all events of world history, all halachas and the Agodah of, of Chazal in Gemara are nothing more than expressions, they're nothing more than reflections or manifestations of this internal Hashkofa framework which we're going into. They're nothing more than the expressions of the hidden design of creation. So therefore, as such, <clears throat> we've explored for quite a while the framework itself in its internal perspective, what the structure and the concepts of Hashkofa is, and what we're doing now is to express <clears throat> the Torah and the history of mankind in terms of that framework. And that's what I'm devoting myself now to the idea of Jewish history. And we're going in terms of that, in terms of Torah. What the true theme of Torah is, what is really going on underneath the apparent <coughs> superficial story in terms of what we see. <coughs> what really determines the behavior of the others? What was the conflict of Ovis, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Klaisul in the Midbar? What was really going on? And of course, also in Tanakh, also why does history, of course, take this path? How does it illustrate the internal structure and the concept of Hashkofa? This is what we're, these, this is the second objective of the Shi'urim. Now, we've begun, of course, to realize a very interesting idea, that the concept of Meshichan is not just two people, who are going to come in at the end of time and save the Jews and bring, and bring revelation of the Rabbanishim to all mankind. That's not what the inner depths of the Mishikhan is. But what we begin to realize <clears throat> is that the concept of Mishikhan, it's not people, it's really an idea, a concept that is really central. It's a hidden theme of all events of mankind which eventually culminate and finalize itself into two different individuals who finally come at the end. In other words, two individuals finally personify the two fundamental tasks that have been going on in Jewish history to two tasks that have been assumed by the Ovis, by Klai Yisrael, and the attempts that have been made to massacre or to, to achieve those two tasks. And finally, of course, is personified in two individuals at the end of time. This is what we begin to realize is the real internal theme of history, whether it be Jewish history, whether it be world history. And of course, this is also the theme or the internal theme of Chumash Tanakh itself. And we've seen so far how it's manifested itself <coughs> in Odom Rishon, Kain and Hevel, Moshe Rabbeinu, with the Yidin Mitzrayim, Yosef and Yehuda, and now we're seeing how it's manifested, of course, in in the Ovis itself. So that's just an organizing statement that this basically is the objectives of the Shear. In addition, this is, in other words, this is what we're trying to accomplish and what we've seen now that the fundamental script 
is really the ideas of the Mishikhan, which is those two ideas, those two tikkunim that are being done constantly by Klai Yisrael. That's, that's an organizing statement. <coughs> now, to continue. Before we go into Yitzchok, who's the next of, I really have to give a certain hagdama, just like I did previously, after I talked a little about the concept of Mishikhan, I also gave a framework, a structural framework, in terms of what the uh, uh, structure of the uh, Mishikhan are spiritually, in Ruchnius. One really has to understand certain ideas in terms of the Ovas, <clears throat> before one can really understand what specifically is going on in the life of the Ovas. Now, in order to do that, it's important for us to understand what are the concepts and what's the structure which is really personified by the Rabbinish Lailam, not by the Ovis. What is the nature and the attributes of the Rabbinish Lailam? What are the concepts that we understand about the Rabbinish Lailam in terms of his attributes and how are these structured? Once we understand that, we begin to see that the Ovis are nothing more than individuals who are embodying those attributes and that is their tafkid. That's why there's such a, a tremendous stress placed on the chesed of Avram, right? The gvuro, the strength of Yitzchak, and the tferis, the beauty of Yaakov. That's why there's so much stress placed on these attributes and why so much is going on in the life of the others in order to perfect and to purify these attributes in their lives. Because the truth is that these attributes are nothing more than the attributes of the Rabbanishlon himself. And it is the task of the Ovis, of course, to begin to personify. So therefore, we really have to understand <clears throat> something about the concepts and the structure of these attributes which are personified by the Rabbanu Shalom. Now, since the Ovis are the chariot of the Rabbanu Shalom, if you recall, <clears throat> and therefore they bear God, they bear them like a chariot bears its rider, and they bear the Rabbanu Shalom, this is their purpose to bear the Rabbani Shalom, as I had mentioned previously, the entire idea of the Merkava. Therefore, they must personify these concepts and structure of the Rabbani Shalom himself. That is what the chariot does. The chariot bears the driver. The others bear, they carry the Rabbani Shalom, which means that they personify the Midas of the Rabbani Shalom. Now, when we look at that, <clears throat> what is then the essential avoid of the others? The essential avoid of the of, of the essential avoid of the others of, of, of the others are basically basically two, although there was a third one added on. The first basic avoid of the of of each patriarch, each of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and subsequently all Klai Israel, is to reveal the fact that the Rabbani Shalom is a melech, a king, an odoin, a master. He is the supreme authority, the supreme ruler of the Bria. That everything is, is absolutely in his control. That is the concept which I mentioned previously of Yichud Shlitosoi, that God rulership his authority is absolute. This is the first tafkir of the Ovis, to reveal that to the Bria, that the Rabbanishim is a melech, an odoin, a master. The second tafkid of the Ovis 
is what's called lihidamis bidrochov. There's a mitzvah in the Torah that says that you have to be madama to the Rabbani Shalom. Just like the Rabbani Shalom is a rachom, a merciful, compassionate being, so you also must be merciful and compassionate. Just like he is a chanon, he is gracious, so you also must be gracious, and so on. The entire 13 attributes. Therefore, <clears throat> that's, the of, that's the mitzvah of lihidamis bidrochov. From there, lihidamis bidrochov means to imitate his ways, to copy his derach. His ways. That's a mitzvah in the Torah, which the Ramam includes as one of the Tayag mitzvahs, as one of the 613 mitzvahs. The idea of embodying or personifying the midas or the attributes of God, of course, is what the others were concerned with as a second major idea. That not only did they want to reveal the Rebunishlam as a melech, <coughs> as a king of creation, but also to actually resemble, to become, uh, a, to imitate the Rebbein Shalom, to use the Rebbein Shalom as a model for what man should look like. And that actually all the ideas of Musa, the idea of Musa where you have to be a chesed and have all the midas, really comes from that mitzvah of Lidamas Bedrochov. You know, all the Musa shmuzen that you hear, that you have to be good, you have to be a toiv and a chesed and give stoko, all of these are really the midas of the Rebbein Shalom and which the Rebbein himself commands Jews to, to, uh, to duplicate, to imitate, in the midst of Lidamas Bidrochov. But in any case, the fundamental, <clears throat> the second major task of the Ovis was to resemble the Rebbein Shlom. And therefore each of took a different meter of the Rebbein Shlom. And there are three fundamental ones. And each of took one, which I'll get into later, what each one took and what does that mean. But this is a second idea or major idea of the others. Now, of course, there was two additional things that happened in addition to this. Besides the fact that each of Avram Yitzchuk and Yaakov, besides the fact that each of revealed the Rebunishim in creation as a melech, an odoin, a king, and besides the fact that each of personified was, were medama to the Rebunishim in one of the essential attributes, there also was Avram and Yaakov took on two additional burdens. Not Yitzchak. What was the burden? That Avram initiated the concept of Yisrael, right? Where he became the first individual who could misaken the Bria after it was taken away from, or rather after Adam and after the 20 generations refused to accept it. <clears throat> Therefore, he initiated the agreement with the Rebbein that he would be the ones who would be justified, in which creation would be justified. In other words, that he would work to bring the Rebbein back into the Bria, to proclaim him throughout, to massacre the Chesan and the Kilkel, which I had mentioned previously. That was his task. Besides imitating the Rebbein he also initiated the entire concept of Yisrael in terms of he and his descendants. So that was Avram. He initiated. The Yaakov also took on a third burden, and that was he finalized the concept of Yisrael. Avram initiated it, and that's why he had the bris and so on. Yaakov finalized that, and therefore he was called Yisrael. He was called Israel, because he finalized the Midah, or rather the concept of Yisrael. So that was the third burden that Yaakov took on. And as a result of these two burdens, of course, new things happened in their lives. Remember, the whole lives of the others were nothing more than to bring out these ideas, to proclaim the Rebbe 
as a melech to resemble the Rabbi Islam in his midas and between an Avram and Yaakov to initiate the concept of Yisrael and to finalize the concept of Yisrael. And therefore, of course, Yaakov was called Yisrael. That was the two additional burdens that both Avram and <coughs> that Avram and Yaakov took on, besides the two previously. In addition, there was the fourth idea, which really is a, an idea that emanates from the Lehidamas <coughs> Bedrochov. And that is that they took on the jobs of the Tikkunim, which means the job of Mashiach ben Yosef and the job of Mashiach ben David. In other words, they, ex- they exemplified in actions the actual tikkunum that was going on in the Bria. For instance, Avram was the Sherish of the Mashiach ben David, Yitzchak was the Sherish of the Mashiach ben Yosef, and Yaakov originally was ben David, and then he became both after Esav lost it, which I'll get into when we get into Yaakov and Esav. However, each one then was a shirish mamish of the Mishichan because they were involved in those avoidus that the Mishichan have to be involved in. Basically contending with the Sitra Achra, fighting the Yitzhahara, and remaining at Sadiq. And the second kind of avoida is to spread Kedusha throughout. And I'll get more into that when we talk about Yitzchak and especially Yaakov when you really see it manifested throughout the Chumash. And we see that the theme of the Chumash, that many kashas are answered by understanding the internal script of what's going on. In any case, <clears throat> these are the, basically the tasks of the Ovis. One, to proclaim the Rebbe as Melech. Two, Lihidamas Bidrochov, his fundamental attributes. Three, was the initiation and the finalization concept of Avram and Yaakov, which was not shared by Yitzchak. And then fourth was the personification of those attributes in terms of the Mashiachan, which of course all three of us were involved in. That is basically the understanding of what's going on with the others. And therefore, when you look at Chomish, you'll see that all the Maisim of these, all the Maisim are basically to deal with one of these areas, to bring out these Tafkidim, these purposes or charges, these tasks of the others. It's very important to understand uh, in dealing with the Ovis. Now, basically, once we understand that, we can, un- we can go back, uh, back into the Ovis and to see these things reflected. However, <coughs> I want to mention a very important idea, which I had mentioned a long time ago, but I want to, again, mention it. That it is a mistake to assume, although it sounds very strange, but it's very important to understand <clears throat> that when we say the Rabbani Shalom is toiv, when we talk about the Midas of the Rabbani Shalom, okay, his attributes, that he is good and kind and so on, it does not mean when we say that about a man, that a man is good, he's kind, he's long-suffering and so on. It doesn't mean the same. When we talk about that, as, when we refer that in terms of a human being, the human being truly has those urges and feelings in him, compassion, uh, graciousness, uh, kindness, strength, and so on, these things are truly exhibited and manifested in the person. They truly exist internally. And a person acts upon those urges and feelings, and therefore he exhibits chesed, rachmonas, and so on. When we talk about the rabbinic as having those, <clears throat> we must understand that these concepts are created concepts. In other words, before the universe existed, these concepts did not exist. Therefore, when we talk about the Rabbani Shalom, who he truly is in terms of his essence, we don't know. 
the Rebbein Shalom is not the same toiv as an Adam. The Rebbein Shalom assumes the attribute of goodness, and therefore the Rebbein Shalom has that attribute, and he's always good, and he is quintessentially good. It means he has the totality of the concept called goodness. Again, when we say the Rebbein Shalom has an attribute like chesed, it means that God is truly about chesed, one, that he is the quintessential idea of chesed, means kindness, which means that he is the totality of the concept. He embodies the totality of the concept of chesed. Okay? And that he performs the meat of chesed always. Because it says, Right? It's always, he's good to all, <coughs> and he's always righteous. That's why it says, Sadiq Hashem Grochov, God never stops being a chosid, he never stops being a tzaddik. However, these midas are nivroim, they're created concepts. Means who the Rebbe really is, we don't know. But as far as mankind is concerned, as far as the Bria is concerned, the Rebbe is or has these midas. And that's the way he relates to us consistently and always will relate to us. And that is the way we have to adapt. We must imitate these attributes. But when I talk about these attributes, it doesn't mean And the one who told us this, of course, is Yeshaya Hanovi, when he said the Posuk, the Rabbanishim says through Yeshaya the prophet, Who are you going to compare me like? And I will be similar. Yuma Kodosh says the Holy One. And I had mentioned previously that what the Rabbanishim is saying, there's nothing you could say about me and I will be it. There's no simulation, there's no similarity. There's no comparison you can make whatsoever to the Rabbanu Shalom. You cannot say, that man is a kind man, therefore God is also a kind being. Be'etzem, in his essence. You can't do that. Because there is nothing that can compare to the Rabbanu Shalom in terms of what he really is. And Yeshai says that, and that's why it says, Yom Kodesh says the Holy One. God, when, when, when God uses his name, what Shem does God use? The Holy One, Kedusha. And the concept of Kedusha means to be separate or above everything. Therefore, the Rebbe Shalom, who is above everything, which means all the concepts of this universe, because he created them, <coughs> he says, who are you going to compare me like? I am not at all like my creation. It's merely a creation. That is a fundamental idea that I wanted to express. Many people make mistakes in that. You see it Kiseida in Sforum, or different, uh, and I've seen this, that they say that this is essentially the Rebbe Shalom. It's not. We do not know what the Rebbe Shalom is essentially. We know what, how he reveals himself to us. The guise, the clothing, how he appears to us. And the way it appears to us, of course, is the Yud Gimumidis, the 13 divine attributes. <coughs> and as far as we are concerned, this is what the Rabbani Islam is, and therefore we must imitate that. Now, now um, therefore, once we understand this, that's, that's just important to understand, the difference between God, who He really is, and what, what is really in terms of His created or revealed aspect of creation. Now, uh, so therefore, that's the idea. The others are occupied in these tasks to proclaim a melech, to lidamus bidrochov, to imitate him, and therefore, well, we'll see what that means in a minute, uh, and also to do the tasks of the Meshichan, which is the avoda 
Yisrael, and that's why they were they picked because of this chus and so on. And of course, also by Avram and Yaakov, that they had this additional tasks of initiating and finalizing the concept of Jew, of Yisrael. Okay, now to go further. As a result of the Ovis, not only are the Ovis the Merkava, but the truth is all Yisrael is the Merkava. All Jews, every person who is a Jew is a Merkava, a chariot. And I had gone to previously what that means. In other words, <clears throat> every Jew bears the responsibility of bearing God. That's what his job is. He bears, he carries the Rebbe Shalom. In other words, he carries him into the Bria where God was absent from. And if you recall, the purpose of a chariot is to bring the driver to his destination. So therefore, all Jews are chariots, right? And they bear the Rabbani Shalom in those two ways. One is that they proclaim his majesty. They, they, they indicate, they promote the fact that the Rabbani Shalom is king of the Bria. That he is Melech Malche Hamlochem. And they also bear God by literally resembling that king. They They imitate his ways. They adopt or personify or embody his attributes. Those are the twofold tasks of the Jews. Now, in addition, of course, the Merkava eventually brings God to his destination, and that is the Tikkunim. You see? So therefore you have those three ideas. One is to proclaim God, to resemble him, which and that is the Merkava, the chariot. And then eventually what happens is that the Bria is Niskan. The Bria is corrected. The deficiency is removed both the chesaron and the kilkel, both the deficiency and the damage. And therefore God then becomes present in the universe as a result of the fact that you are his chariot. This is the idea. And therefore the others, what they were doing is implanting not only the covenant, the agreement, which Avram and Yaakov were involved with, were involved with but also implanting the tasks of <clears throat> the attributes of the Rebbeinu Shalom and also the fact of the two avidus, the tikkunim of the Rebbeinu Shalom and uh, this is what the others were involved with and of course also to proclaim him Melech and they were implanting it in their shurish, in their root, in their neshama and their neshama of course is the neshama of Klai Yisrael the neshama of the Ovis is really the neshama of Klai Yisrael, split many times. Mm. And therefore, the idea is that, <clears throat> that's why um, the idea that uh, Avram is really a, 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 a Gilgal of Odomarishan. But in any case, um, <clears throat> the idea is that we, Klai Yisrael, has the, all the different components. If, if you put all Klai Yisrael together, they would be the Ovis. So therefore, the Ovis implanted in their own neshama the tendencies toward all these attributes and tasks and that was given of course to Klai Yisrael and therefore Klai Yisrael is also the Merkava it's very important to understand <coughs> now you understand what the Chazal means the Gemara says that Bnei Avram is Bnei Achmonim that the Jews have three Midas the Baishonim they, they are they, they, they're Shem you know, Shemeftiga, they're shy, shy, uh, uh, shy, and they're Bnei Rachmonim, they have the meat of compassion. Uh, Chazal say that, that Jews have these meat. They're also Grimlich Hasodim. Chazal is the Kasha, 
um, uh, not, excuse me, not, but what, what the kasha is, the idea is, what do you mean they embody these things? What does that have to do with the ovus? The, the answer is because the ovus implanted their shirish and then the shama, therefore it goes through every neshama of Kleinsville. So actually one could say that if you do not have these midas, you are not a Jew. In fact, there's, there are, there are, there are Chazal in the Gemara actually use these, this test of who is Jewish or not to figure out who is a Jew. They actually see that if somebody does not have the inyan of busha, of shame, of, of shyness, okay, of embarrassment, which is a good midah, because that brings in the midah of charota, of, of having, it's the opposite of gaiva, okay? And if you don't have the midah of rachmonis, which is compassion, okay? Instead, you have the meat of Achzorius, and you have the meat of Gaiva, you're a Goy. You're not a Yid. Because a Jew must have these Midas. Why? Because they were implanted by the Ovis. That's what they mean. That this, this is actually an acid test for who a Jew is and who, who is not a Jew. That's why you see that one of the Midas that, <clears throat> that identify Goyim basically is the meat of Gaiva and Achzorius. The meat of. The meter of arrogance and the meter of cruelty. That's a, that's, that's a meter which is very, very much surrounding Goyish activities. Because you see when they take over a nation, what they do to the nation, you can see that the whole, they're going very much involved in arrogance and, and axorious. But Klai Yisrael, because of the Ovis, have implanted in them the meters of Chesed, which of course is Rachmonus, the meter of Gvuru and Tferis and beauty and truth and so on. And this comes of course from the Ovis. Because they implanted in their souls, and since their souls were the roots of all Klai Yisrael, we who are a part of them have that intuitively and automatically in our Nishamas. It doesn't have to be developed. It can be corrupted, unfortunately, but it doesn't really have to be developed in that sense. <clears throat> and this is what's meant by, this is the tasks of the Ovis to not only to develop in terms of themselves, but of course to communicate that into all of Klai Yisrael and to leave it as an inheritance for all their descendants, to carry on their avodah. Now, that statement may surprise you, but one has to understand what it means. Now, you may ask a question. Uh, well, you see Goyim who have kindness. Are we going to say that Jews are, that have a monopoly on kindness and so on? And Goyim don't have this at, at, at all? It's not true. Goyim also do acts of charity. And they have many charitable institutions and so on. But the idea there is this. The difference is this. That a Jew has it built into his soul, intuitive, automatically. A Goyim has to learn it externally in every generation. That's the difference. That a Goyim adopts it externally. Number one, that it is a Goyim can be, have compassion and and, and chesed and so on, but he always has to learn it and therefore make it part of his personality. It's always appendaged to his basic personality. Therefore, it can always be lost. That's why when you see the incredible idea that they say many times that during the war, the Holocaust, when Goyim, there were many Jews who were friendly with Goyim, and their own neighbors turned them in. You see that idea? And somebody once told me a story in Slabotka where there was a janitor who was a guy <coughs> and when, the, uh, when, when Slabotka was destroyed during the war he, turned, he himself personally killed over 34 yeshiva guys and he was a, oh, many yeshiva guys and he was a janitor there for 34 years So the question, how can this be? How can a guy even living with a Jew for so many years and seeing, especially in the yeshiva 
And in the Holocaust, you live with Jews, you see the chesed that Jews practice and so on. How all of a sudden, that as soon as the opportunity to practice evil and gaiva and cruelty presents itself, immediately you become an incredibly cruel person. And the answer to that is because a guy intuitively does not possess this midah, he has to learn it, it's external. And as such, even if he learns it, if the appropriate time comes, he can shed it. So you can be friends with a guy, unfortunately, for years and years. And if the appropriate time comes where all of a sudden he has to divide his loyalties, yeah. right? He'll sell you down the river just as quick as if he didn't know you. And not only sell you down the river or do uns uh, and do horrendous things to you, uh, but not, not only will he not acknowledge your friendship, but he will do incredible cruel acts to you. That's what a guy is capable of. So, even, so the, the superficiality of the midas of Goyim is the difference, that by Yidin it's internal, it's a truly a part of their nature, and by a Goy it's not truly part of his nature, that it's a superficial appendage to the Goy, and that it can be shed when the right opportune moment comes. This is the answer to that question, the difference between the midah of when the others worked on it, and when a Goy has that midah. And also there's another idea that, that when a Goy has those midas, it's not because the guy truthfully and intrinsically realized the importance of making that amida in himself, but he basically does it for external reasons, because he was brought up in childhood like that. As parents, society says you have to be good and so on. <clears throat> Again, the externals, it's fear that makes the guy a civilized nation. That's why Chazal say that if you remove ilmole, muramalchus, if the fear of the kingdom if civilization, in other words, government, yeah. if that was removed, then they would swallow you living. They wouldn't even wait until you died. They would swallow you, Balu Chaim in Ovis, it says, Mesech to They would swallow you while you were alive. Can you imagine the Achzoris of Goyim? If you remove the fear of the governments, because we see, every time you have an anarchy, or, you know, a rebellion in one of these South American countries, they go crazy. Look what happened when French revolted. I mean, they beheaded thousands of people. It was incredible what was going on. The same idea. So you have the, those three fundamental differences. That by a Jew, it's internal in his soul. By a guy, it's external. By a Jew, it's not an appendage. Therefore, it cannot be removed. So it cannot be removed. A Jew has to fight not to be a Ben Rachman. You know, you really got to fight hard not to do it because he go, he's going against his nature. Whereas by Goy, since it's an appendage, it can be removed in the right circumstances, right? There's a, the uh, second idea we see. And the third idea, third idea is the idea that what inculcates the midas, these midas toivas in a Goy is fear. It's not a genuine desire to be these, this way. Yeah. However, by a Jew, by a Jew, what inculcates it is not a fear, a mirror. It's a genuine desire that emanates from his neshama, of course, because it's already built in his neshama. Those are three fundamental differences between a yid and a goy in those midas toivos. And of course, the Jew has it because Chazal, or rather the others, worked on it for hundreds of years because each one lived almost 200 years. They worked on it in the, in the sum total of 600 years to make sure that these midas would be part of their shirish. And we'll also understand what that becomes much, uh, what that is much better later on when I talk about goyim, the whole concept of goyim, and what happened between a Jew and a goy. And we'll understand the idea of a shirish and that which is not a shirish.
like I said, remember, this is all part of the structure of what you have to know, the concepts, before we get really into the others. But I got into Avram just to explain, you know, to give some idea of the life of Avram. But the truth is, we must know these concepts and structure in terms of why the others are doing what they're doing. And then when you learn Chumash, you really can see it. That the whole lives were centered around those four ideas, or rather three ideas, and the fourth idea was Avram and Yaakov. And of course, as I mentioned now, that the whole idea was to bring this to their descendants where they would implant these ideas in Klai Israel. In other words, that the idea that Avram and Yaakov worked on the initiation and finalization process of the concept, so therefore all Jews have, are now a Masakin, can correct or damage the Bria. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov worked on their individual Midas, which I'll get into. Therefore all Jews have those Midas as part of their shurish, mamishten is shama, intuitively, internally, and is not motivated by externals, nor can it be removed at all. A Jew has to fight himself to remove those midas. Also, uh, that Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are busy proclaiming the Rabbani Shalom. Jews are busy throughout 4,000 years of Jewish history. Jews have had only one mission, to proclaim the Rabbani Shalom throughout the world. Right? That's the uh, uh, third idea. And the fourth idea that the Ovis left the Jews, of course, is that just like they were involved in those two tikkunim, of Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, in other words, always combating evil and subjugating it by remaining steadfast, steadfastly righteous and also promoting Kedusha, therefore all Kai Yisrael is involved in those tikkunim. So you see that the Ovis are truly patriarchs, originators, they are the genesis of Klai Yisrael. Mitzadeh Shirish. See the incredible difference, what the others did, which we, I will examine later when I talk about Goyim, is that whatever they did somehow changed their nefesh, the neshama. And therefore we who have that soul, part of the, of the neshama, have those intuitively as part of our nature to do. Therefore in that sense we have the schus of Avram Yitzchak that's why we automatically know what to do. Because all this is ingrained, embodied in the Nisham itself. And the others were able to do that because they were still on the Madrega called Shrashim, roots, which the Goim had lost, which I will explain at a future date. Very important to understand. That's where they're able to do it. And that's why we as Klai Yisrael have it. Now, to go further. Now, now we understand, going back a little into Avram, <clears throat> why Chazal say in the Gemon Brochus that until Avram Avinu called, uh, uh, that uh, from the day that the Rebunishim uh, created the universe, nobody but Avram called him an Odoin, a master. That's what Chazal say. And what that means is because, of course, that the task of Avram is to promote the Rebunishim as Odoin, as king, right? as the supreme ruler of the Bria. And of course Avram was basically the first one who mentioned that to all the peoples of the earth in its complete profundity. You know, he understood the depth of that statement of Yichud Shli Tosoy, that God is the absolute authority and ruler over everything, not just a small area, but that his influence and ashpah and control pervades all creation. This is the idea that Chazal say. <laughs> so we see therefore that Av Avram was involved with what? 
with the task of initiating, or rather, excuse me, rather promoting the idea of the, that the Rebbe is a melech, a king throughout the entire universe, an odoim. The other ideas we see, of course, uh, from the fact that Avram was also an initiator, because obviously the whole bris was between him and the Rebbe Shalom. That's the second task. The third task we see Avram was involved, because the Medrash says very interestingly, there's a Medrash, Sheikh Atoyev, that says, uh, Omar Rav Ruvain, that Rav Ruvain says <clears throat> that all the people were asleep in the, in the world until Avram came and aroused them. And he woke them up from their sleep and he said that the Rabbani Shalom is the master. He, he told them that the world is filled with the presence of the Rabbani Shalom. That's the first task, right? The proclaiming king. And then it says that the world was asleep. Again, asleep means that they were not involved. It was unknown to them. And once Avram aroused them, means that he proclaimed that, promoted that throughout his life. And the second thing it says that all people were asleep to the fact of the chesed, kindness in the universe, until Avram came and proclaimed that by opening up an inn. It was his house. What does that mean? That all people did not, not only not realize that the Rosh was a melech, but they didn't realize his attributes. So Avram did both. He proclaimed God a king, right? And that's what the first Chazal mean, that he called him an Odoin. Or that he aroused the nations that God is a king. And the um, second idea that he proclaimed the attributes of the Rabbani Shalom. That the Rabbani Shalom is chesed. And he imitated that attribute. That's the way he proclaimed it. And he did that by opening an inn and saying, the chesed isn't mine, it comes from the Rabbani Shalom. So that Medrash tells us that Avram, of course, were involved in those two ideas. Proclaim God <clears throat> as king and to uh, exemplify personify the attribute of God, which is chesed. That's the two fundamental tasks. And of course, besides the initiation idea that he made a covenant, he was also involved, of course, with his pashtas kedusha, which means to spread all these ideas throughout the Bria. That's the idea of Avram. And now we see that how Chazal fit when we know that these are the tafkidim of the others. Now, what's important to understand also so far, in order to sum up, I'll just sum up. In other words, that the others who are their Merkava have basically four tafkidim, or really three, and two were shared by Avram and Yaakov, right? And that there are basically these two avoiders, okay, of, of removing the chasan and the kilkel, of course, which is the tikkunim. And that it's not only the others, but it's also Kai Yisrael. This is basically what we what I have covered until now. Now, <clears throat> the next important things to understand is that wait a minute. We see that the others are proclaiming the attributes of the Rebbeinu What are the attributes of the Rebbeinu What does that mean when we see the attributes of the Rebbeinu The way he revealed it to us. Remember, <coughs> not that Musai, but the way he revealed it to us. When we say that the others proclaim God as an Odin, as a king. And they reveal his attributes by exemplifying or personifying those attributes. What does that mean? And, and of course, and they also massacre in the Bria. What does all this mean? What is the structure of the concepts of the Rabbani Shlomo? Now, in order to understand that, <clears throat> well, I'll have to use a, a couple of terms which are Kabbalistic, but don't be frightened. Uh, I'll explain basically what they mean. 
and will go and will proceed there because in order to really understand the others because we can see now that we have a clearer picture of what the general avoid of the others are in order to really understand them we have to understand the rabbinish land because the others are nothing more than individuals who are bearing as chariots the rabbinish into the bria so the question is who is the rabbinish in terms of his midas right that we said that the others are nothing more than nothing more than individuals, just like Kleinswell, who are teaching the universe, bringing that into the bria, that the Bereshit is king and his attributes, and therefore they're bringing that message into the bria, and that becomes the tikkun of the bria. But the question, of course, is who is the Rebbeinu inside his attributes, right? Because that's what the others are supposed to tell, supposed to instruct and promote. So we must now, next now, concern ourselves with what is the basic understanding of the attributes of the Rabbanish Lalim. What is the structure of that understanding? Uh, well, however, I'm, I'm going to see that, uh, that time is running out. I will have to begin that the next year to begin going into the structure and the concepts of the attributes of the Rabbanish Lalim in terms of a uh, little Kabbalistically, but I say don't get frightened. And that will be next week. And then again we'll proceed after we understand the Rebbeinu to go back to the Ovis and understand the three meters of the Ovis and then I'll continue in the actual lives of the Ovis again to go back go back and to explain the structure of these concepts mitzad the Rebbeinu then to go back into the, the Midas itself that the Ovis are carrying into the Bria then to go back into the lives of the others, starting from Yitzchak, showing how it personifies in the actual behavior and the events of the Chumash itself.